Welcome to week six of Broken Branches Ministry STEM Discipleship Program podcast. I am Karen Ayers, your host. Marshall and I are honored and humbled to deliver this innovative way of teaching God's word and building disciples. STEM Discipleship Program is dedicated to helping you develop an intimate relationship with God that urges you to grow in your obedience and submission to Christ. The goal of our walk with Christ is to, as we walk with him, to see that we're becoming more like him. So congratulations on getting to the halfway point of this STEM discipleship program. It is my prayer that you have begun hearing the voice of God clearer and look forward to your time with God in your secret place. God is always speaking to us. You are in the process of learning to be intentional about hearing from the Holy Spirit and receiving your revelation of his word. That is what STEM Discipleship Program is about. It's about educating you so that you can walk in the truth of God's love, his word, and his will to live fruitful lives that will not only honor him, but also give him glory and produce fruit that remains. So go ahead, grab your STEM Discipleship Workbook, a pen, and your Bible, and let's continue on the journey of drawing closer to God. Last week, we learned about the transition from the presence of God being housed in the Ark of the Covenant inside of the Holy of Holies to the presence of God residing within us as a result of the crucifixion, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The veil was broken. It was torn from top to bottom and provided us with direct access to God. No longer do animals have to be sacrificed or incense have to be burned for us to have access to God. Jesus was the sacrifice. Now we can communicate directly to God. It is through prayer that we communicate with God, thanking him for what he's done for us, as well as giving petitions to him for our needs. Not just the needs of ourselves, but the needs of others. 1 John 5 Verses 14 and 15 tells us that we should have confidence in approaching God. If what we ask is following his will, he hears us. This is how it's read in the Amplified Bible. It says, this is the remarkable degree of confidence, which we as believers are entitled to, to have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, That is, according to what is consistent with his plan and his purpose, he hears us. Believers in Christ should have a remarkable amount of confidence coming before God with our requests, especially if our requests are presented in accordance with his will. Believers are to believe by faith. Romans chapter 3 verse 21 through 25 says in the New Living Translation this, but now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law, as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. Verse 22, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes no matter who they are. 23, for everyone has said, 
We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet, God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Jesus Christ when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. Verse 25 says, For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in past time. Verse 26, for he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in the present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he is fair and just, and he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. Can we boast then that we have done anything to be accepted by God? No, because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law. It is based on faith. Verse 28. So we are made right with God through faith and not by obeying the law. John 3 verse 36 says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. During week one, we established that God is love, as we found in 1 John 4, verse 8, and that God does all things for his glory. We see that in 1 John 4, verse 8, as well as Romans 11 and 36. His love... He loves his glory above all things. And that is a good thing that he loves his glory above all things. Therefore, God rules the world in such a way that brings himself maximum glory. This means that God must act justly and judge sin. That is responding with wrath. Otherwise, God would not be God. God's love for his glory motivates his wrath against sin. Believers are to have faith in God, all three natures of God. This belief then saves believers from the wrath of God that was seen in the Old Testament. If you are a Christian who has received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior by faith, you are saved from the wrath of God. Stop worrying about missing the mark. You will miss the mark. We are human. We're erred beings. Only Jesus is perfect. God sacrificed his perfect son to bear our imperfections on the cross so that the wrath of God was removed. We were saved by grace as a gift from God, as we find in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. But we must believe by faith in the Father's love for us, for his, his provision for us, and that he has a perfect will for us. When you go to your kitchen and you go to your kitchen table and you sit down in your in your chair, do you have faith that the chair will hold you and you won't go tumbling to the ground? As you go upstairs to reach your front door, do you have faith in the steps that you will hold that the steps will hold you? We have faith in manufacturers creators and laborers with which we may never have an intimate relationship, yet we doubt God. As we draw into a closer relationship with God, 
that we desire and we strive to be in right standing with him. Our will begins to yield to his will. When we marry the relationship between yielding to the will of God and prayer, it is a recipe for success. The question I want to ask now is, if the recipe for success in the body of Christ seems so simple for us believers, why aren't prayers being answered? So let's search the scriptures for the simplest answer. The answer is found in Mark chapter 11, verse 24. And let's look at it in the Amplified Version. It says, For this reason I am telling you, whatever things you ask for in prayer, in accordance with God's will, believe with confident trust that you have received them and they will be given to you. So here it is. First, we have to ask for what we need. Even though God knows our needs, he wants to engage in that personal relationship between a father and a child. And he wants us to come to him and ask for what we need. He wants us to assert ourselves. Now, when we assert ourselves, the condition he is placing here is that the need is in accordance with his will. The second half of Mark chapter 11, verse 24, highlights the second condition. The the first condition was that it is in accordance with the will of God. The second condition is belief. We must believe that we that what we pray for, we will receive. We will be looking at both will and belief in today's lesson. Belief also known as having faith along with praying according to God's will is how to ensure that prayers will be answered. And it's part of the recipe for success. Let's venture back to our week one lesson for a moment. God's will is for us to love each other like he loves Jesus, remain in Jesus so that his visible, well, his invisible love can be made visible through our lives by the way we love others. Now, when this happens, we he wants to get the glory and be reminded of these things when we come to him in prayer. God has a perfect will for your life. He leads you to do his will by the instructions in his word, but he does not force you. Second Timothy three chapter, I'm sorry, verse 16 in the New Living Translation reads, all scripture is inspired by God and it's useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and it teaches us to do what is right. In Psalms 32 verse 8, God tells us that he will guide us along the best pathway for our lives and that he will advise us and watch over us. Psalm 16 and 11 tells us that God will make known to us the path of life. And in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, we find the reassurance that God has a plan for us that is good and not for disaster to give us a future and a hope. The problem is he gives us the freedom to make our own choices. Imagine God is the architect of your life. And he has built a beautiful mansion for you made of the best materials in the world. He has given you all you need to build it. 
and you decide to throw them to the side and go purchase subpar materials and end up building a shack. God intends that you build according to his will. Make sure Christ is the foundation of your life. This is the key to finding God's will. Making Jesus Christ your foundation and allowing the Holy Spirit to guide you. What then, I want to ask, prevents you from walking according to the will of God? Turn over to page 78 of your STEM Discipleship Program workbook. And let's talk about the nature of man to get a better understanding of the struggle. The struggle between doing the will of God versus us wanting to do our own will. Mankind was created as a spirit in the image of God. And we see that in Genesis 1 verses 26 and 27. And it says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Verse 27 says, So God created mankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. This spirit was then later housed in a body to form man from the ground and the breath of life was breathed into his nostrils by making God, by God making him a living soul, according to Genesis chapter two, verse seven. So let's take a look at the role of each of these parts as it relates to a human nature. So again, we have, we're made in the image of God as a spirit And then he breathed in us the breath of life, which was how our, and made us a living soul. And then he housed that, that spirit and that soul in a body. So let's take a look at each of these roles. Let's look at spirit first. Every living human has a spirit that is made in the image of God, which we just talked about. We are all fundamentally spiritual beings. When we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we are all baptized by one spirit, which is the Holy Spirit, and form one body, one body of Christ. And we see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 13. And in the New Living Translation, it reads like this. The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, and some are free. But we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. This is how you can be studying the word of God and go to church the next day. And here's a similar message you have been meditating on, um, and it's being preached from the pulpit. We're all one spirit. We have the same omnipresent Holy Spirit operating in us all. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 12 through 22, further verifies our ownership to God. This is what it says in the New Living Translation version. It says, it is God who enables us along with you to stand firm for Christ. He has commissioned us and he has identified us as his own by placing the Holy Spirit 
in our hearts as the first installment that guarantees everything he has promised us. Unbelievers do not possess the Holy Spirit as reflected in Romans 8 and 9. It reads, You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. So no salvation, no Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is for believers only. Now remember, we're all spirits with the with the lowercase s. Once we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we receive the Holy Spirit capital S. Okay? So there is no promise in the Old Testament to the believer that he will be indwelt with the Holy Spirit. However, in Numbers Uh, chapter 27, verse 18, it seems to indicate that the Holy Spirit is not to be found in everyone. By stating that the Holy Spirit is in Joshua, it infers he is not, the Spirit is not universally given. And this is what it said. It says, and the Lord said to Moses, take Joshua, the son of Nun, with you, a man in whom is the Spirit, lay your hand on him. Also, the Spirit is said to have come upon other individuals, such as Othaniel in Judges 3 and 10. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he judged Israel. So not only was the Spirit, Holy Spirit limited to certain individuals in the Old Testament, the extent of the indwelling was limited. He could leave an individual after he had indwelt them. We find that in the life of Saul. It serves as a good example. When they came to there to be when they came to there to the hill, there was a group of prophets to meet him. Then the Spirit of God came upon him and he prophesied among them. This was 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 10. But then we see also in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 14, that the Spirit departed. It said, But the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. A distressing spirit from the Lord troubled him. So the ideal that only certain individuals were indwelt with the Holy Spirit is based upon an understanding of a statement made by Jesus in John 14, verse 17, where it states, Even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it e- it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be with you. So this reinforces the point that the Holy Spirit is for believers in Christ only, not the world of unbelievers. So turn over to page 80 in your workbook. And let's uncover the role that our body plays in our human nature. So your spirit lives in your body and provides ways that you can relate to the world through your senses. So your spirit is in your body and the body provides ways that you can relate to the world through your senses. You can describe your likes and your dislikes through your body and your senses. We know what we like based on what it looks like how it feels to our skin, how it smells, how it tastes. We can determine our level of satisfaction from things in our environment through our senses. 
we are also able to determine if something is pleasing to us by how it may sound. As we all know, just because something looks good, smells good, tastes good, feels good, or even sounds good, it may not be good for us. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 23 tells us that you have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to anything, but not everything is constructive. So our body or our flesh has a way of misguiding us at times. The things that may feel good to us through our bodies or our flesh may not be beneficial or constructive to us when we're trying to live a life that is parallel to the will of God. This leads us to discuss the role that our soul plays in our attempt to yield to the will of God. Now, our soul encompasses three vital components of who we are. These components are our mind, our will, and our emotions. And during the coming weeks, we will take some time to discuss our mind and our emotions as we strive to uncover strategies and understand that will, um, some strategies that will allow us to be successful and live in a life that glorifies God. And it also helps us to remain in Christ so that our lives are fruitful and productive. So let's cultivate a deeper understanding of our will first. To illuminate the various natures of man and the role our will plays in that nature, I want you to turn over to page 82 of your STEM Discipleship Program workbook. And let's talk about the natural man. According to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 in the King James Version, it says, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto them. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. This scripture tells us that some things are only spiritually discerned. It can only be spiritually discerned if the spirit of God is in them. Another word for the spirit of God is the Holy Spirit. If you recall, we just uncovered earlier in Romans 8 um, and 9, that if a person does not possess the Holy Spirit, that they do not belong to Christ. It is kind of like trying to speak to someone in another language and they have no clue what you're trying to say. It is like trying to explain a spiritual revelation you receive from studying the Word of God to someone who does not understand who the Holy Spirit is. Once we receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior, our language changes to a spiritual language to which we are then able to hear the Holy Spirit speak. This brings me back to the introductory session where salvation was offered first. We first have to receive Christ as our Lord and Savior to then be able to discern the things of the Holy Spirit within us. We can't discern the things that the Holy Spirit are trying to tell us if we are only in the state of being a natural person. That natural person is incapable of discerning spiritual things because the Holy Spirit does not reside in them. They have yet to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. So turn over to page 84 of your STEM Discipleship Program workbook and let's talk about next the carnal Christian. 
Now, the carnal Christian is open to both the spirit of God and the world. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, and I'll be reading in the New Living Translation version, and it says, Dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I, as I would to spiritual people. I had to talk as though you belonged to the world or as though you were infants in Christ. I had to feed you with milk, not with solid food, because you weren't ready for anything stronger. And you still aren't ready, for you are still controlled by your sinful nature. You are jealous of one another and quarrel with each other. Doesn't that prove you are controlled by your sinful nature? Aren't you living like people of the world? Scripture indicates that there is a difference between the Holy Spirit being in you and you living by the Spirit. Remember, once you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit came as a gift and wouldn't have come if Jesus had not died and ascended to heaven. What Paul is referring to in this passage of scripture are people who have accepted Christ as their savior, but are still living with one foot in the world. This is called a carnal Christian. Carnality means that they're living by the flesh and allowing the flesh to lead them. And the letter written to the church in Laocida in Rome in Revelations 3.16 warned us that they would be spat out of the Lord's mouth because his church was neither hot nor cold for Jesus. They were being lukewarm. Revelations 3.19 went on to say that those whom I love I rebuke and discipline so that earnest so be earnest and repent. The Holy Spirit is not only within us to convict us of those things that are in our body, our minds, or our will or our emotions that are contrary to the will of God, but the Holy Spirit is there to help us crucify ourselves so that only the will of God for our lives remain. During week five, we talked about communicating with God and how it is in prayer that we are to confess our sins and to repent. To repent means to feel or express sincere regret or remorse about our sin. Remember, repentance is a gift from God. We have the gift of repentance from God that is there for us to receive. It's not to condemn us because there's no condemnation in Christ. And we find that in Romans 8 and 1. And it says, therefore, there is therefore no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Repentance. Repentance is the thing that repositions the believer to move away from sin and towards accomplishing God's will. It is for growth and alignment to the will of God so that the love of God that he has given us so lavishly can be freely displayed in and through us to others, and that he can be seen clearly. So what are the scriptures you will be reading this week in your quiet time is 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 to 4. It is God's desire for all to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. 
The only way that all can come to the knowledge of the truth is if we all are doing our part with yielding our will to God's will. I want you to meditate on that scripture this week and uncover how how this knowledge of an aspect of God's will shapes or redirects your thinking about others who may not look like or think like you. And I want you to jot your thoughts down in your journal and be prepared to share them with your group. Now, the spiritual Christian is the believer who has closed the door to the enemy by crucifying their flesh, managing their emotions, and controlling their thoughts. So, so far we've talked about the natural person who doesn't have Christ has not received him at all. Then we talked about the carnal Christian who has the door open both to um, the world and to God. So now we're talking about the spiritual Christian. And on page 86 of your STEM Discipleship Program workbook, you will see an illustration where the spirit is at the center of the spiritual Christian. Galatians 2 and 20 tells us that I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in this son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. First Thessalonians chapter five, verses 23 and 24 tells us that it is God that sanctifies our spirit, our soul and our body. God sanctifies us and the filling of the Holy Spirit is what helps us know and to do the will of God. This brings us to to your scripture memory verse this week. Philippians 2 and 13 tells us, For it is God who works in you to will and to act to fulfill his good purpose. So living a life that yields to the will of God over our will can only be accomplished with the help of God in the form of the Holy Spirit that dwells within us. There isn't enough praying that we can do. There isn't enough fasting that we can do on our own. There aren't enough works that we can do that will give us the strength and the power to submit our will to the will of God. It can only be done with the help of the Holy Spirit. Hebrews 13 verses 20 and 21 in the New Living Translation says, Now may the God of peace who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, and rectify an eternal covenant with his blood. May he equip you with all you need for doing his will. May he produce in you through the power of Jesus Christ every good thing that is pleasing to him. All glory to him forever and ever. Amen. This is how the Amplified Version reads this scripture. Now may the God of peace, the source of serenity and spiritual well-being, who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood that sealed and ratified the eternal covenant, equip you with every good thing to carry out his will and to strengthen you, making you complete and perfect as you ought to be, accomplishing in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. 
Sanctification, guys, is a gift from God that we must receive by faith, by closing the door of the world and allowing the Holy Spirit to produce in us every good thing that pleases God. Romans 7, verses 18 through 20 says, And I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. Verse 20, but if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. How do you relate with this scripture? Have you given up on some things because you thought you were a failure and you should have been able to do them on your own? I want you to note those thoughts down in your workbook on page 85 and be prepared to share with your group this week. Paul talks about having the desire to do what's right, but the difficulty that comes along with fighting our sinful nature. Your capacity to carry out your own will is limited. When tasks become difficult to accomplish, it is human nature, it is our human nature to move away from the trouble or the pain and to move towards comfort and pleasure. And we can find ourselves choosing that is, you know, choosing something that is not worth the effort. We'll we'll say, you know, it's too much work. However, unlike your human capacity, God's capacity to carry out his will is unlimited. His purpose is consistently wrapped in pure and holy and upright motives. He doesn't change his mind if things get tough. He doesn't want his will to be done today and not tomorrow. He always wants his will to be done. And he sends his administrator, the Holy Spirit, to help him accomplish this. We can't do it on our own. It is the Holy Spirit in us that is at work to help us fulfill the will of God in and through our lives. God's will can can, um, be seen in three categories. His predestined will. These are things that God is in control over and that he has already determined will happen. Then we have God's moral will as found in the Ten Commandments, for example. There are frankly some things that God does not want us to do. So if you're doing something and you have to wonder if this is in the will of God, Clearly in the scripture will tell you if those acts are something that are that are permissible by God or not. So God has a moral um, will for us. Then then there is God's desired will. He wills, for example, for all of us to be saved, for us, for Christians to be baptized, for us to walk in his will, for us to be obedient and to acknowledge him, to glorify him and honor him. God's will for your life is found throughout his word. His will is the best plan. Ask God daily, what is his plan for you today? Submit to him and allow him to direct your path and produce his will 
for goodness to follow all the days of your life. If you don't know what God's will is, ask him. Seek the scriptures and he will tell you what that will is. We've been talking about prayer and asking and seeking and believing, but you have to believe what you're asking, that an answer is possible. If you ask God about his will and you don't believe that he was going to tell you, then guess what? You may not hear the answer. Belief and the will of God and trusting in God are key components for uncovering and identifying what God's will for your life is. So the scriptures that you'll be studying this week that will help you to get a closer understanding of what God's will is for you are going to be John 3, verse 1 through 10. 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 10 through 14. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 to 20. Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 34. And finally, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3 in the New Living Translation. So let's pray. Father God, we thank you for knowing ahead of time that we're going to need your help in walking out this life as a Christian. We thank you, Lord, and we honor you and glorify you for your son, Jesus, and for the advocate, the Holy Spirit, who resides in us, that helps us, Lord God, to line our lives up to your will and to discern, to discern what that is. Forgive us for our sins and the times that we've allowed our flesh and the desires of this world to draw us away from you. Expose, Heavenly Father, those things in our flesh and our body that is not pleasing to you and that causes us to be out of alignment with your will for our lives. And then help us to repent and to turn around. Father, we thank you that we cannot cleanse ourselves but it is you that is the great sanctifier. Father, help us to crucify this flesh and encourage other believers to do the same. Bless this world, Father, and the pain that is experienced in it, Lord. Let your will be done on this earth. In Jesus' name, amen. <music>